I am going to be toasting you with a cool glass Ooh. of nog for the evening. Oh. Okay. I can I can do you one better. So Please don't. I've, I don't need I've, you to do me at all worse or dirtier than you did last week. Not with that attitude. <laughs> I My attitude is pretty severely bent out of alignment based on hearing the absolute, like, okay. Now, <laughs> Melissa, after listening through the first five minutes as I was sitting there uh, on Sunday evening pre-posting, I listened to the first five minutes and I went, oh my god. <laughs> He's attempting it. He's doing it. It's He's like, soloing I've, it. I've only said it 167 <laughs> times before now. So I'm sure you could run my playbook. As a coach, I was hoping. I was like, this is my team. I'm going to put them in the game. They're going to follow the game plan. Everything's going to be great. And they're like, oh. I don't know how he segues. I don't know how to be. Ah, uh, ah, uh, 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 like oh, it sounds no. like Woody Allen passing a kidney stone, as opposed to the start of a podcast episode. I leave you unattended for one week, and all hell breaks loose. Hey, you gotta admit, I didn't die, so that is good. I didn't choke I, on anything. I, I would didn't disagree. Drown. I feel like you died several times over the course of that episode. And somehow uh, got resurrected. But um, Melissa thought you did an exemplary job. She turns, she turns to me, she's like, oh, he did it. It's like, if, if that's what you think that is doing it, uh, I am being really done a disservice by what you think is funny then, based on my prior ep- exploits. Superfan Michael also did give me some accolades for attempting to fill in your shoes. So. I, I really appreciate the fact that he <laughs> is, one, dyed in the wool as both a listener and now contributor to the show because that motherfucker lied like a dog <laughs> to you. I got a text on Monday going like, oh my God, are you okay? My Monday is not the same without your dulcet tones. And I mean, uh, of course. I, yeah. can't, I can't do those dulcet tones. There's... I no matter how I crack my voice, lilt my voice, I can mm-hmm. never approximate those just beautiful, just smooth like jazz, just just lull me to sleep, Daddy. Like smooth that sort jazz. Of, okay. Yes. I like that. I, the lilt and you're hitting puberty is what you're comparing to me and my dulcet I, tones, my words? velvety caramel being drizzled over a Twix cookie. Exactly. I'm I am the cracker that you find that has been sitting out in the rain for a week. Ugh. Just soggy. No one wants to pick that up. They know as soon as they touch it it's going <laughs> to dissolve. Like comparing to just the Twix bar that just fresh out the factory like as soon as it gets put onto shelves, you grab that, you open mm. that up. You can still hear, you can almost hear like just how like just the the car- caramel tones. You're doing it, it again. Uh, You're doing I, it again. I can't. Uh, I've had I a stale Twix or two over the course of my life, friends, and uh, I certainly have laid a few myself on this show. But no, y- y'all did great. I was very entertained. Uh, one, I was there was less joking. So for a comedy <laughs> podcast, I appreciated that we were educational. Uh, and, and, and two, 
A lot of very interesting exploits and, you know, attempted assassinations I find fascinating, as I've mentioned previously. So it was an enjoyable episode. Yeah. Uh, I, I have, uh, I had some cracks prepared. It's like, obviously, they, they didn't need to worry about anybody being a marksman for being an assassin because they didn't give you fucking guns. You couldn't practice in Russia. They didn't want to waste the ammo. So, I mean, like, who's going to learn <laughs> how to be a rifleman? This is why we needed you. You didn't need to run Serpentine. But, yeah, I was in mid-dying last week. I don't sound much better this week. There's a gentleman I listen to on a professional wrestling podcast. They do the the wrestling news every morning. And he sounds like Tony the Tiger on dialysis. <laughs> he just the the least energetic old man with just this weird froth of snot in the back of his throat at all times. <laughs> so he sounds like this. Except he doesn't have as, as low a voice as I do, thankfully. But yeah, he's very... <laughs> I'm for the wrestling news. I'm and it's like, oh, for God's sakes, get a shot or something. Wake up. He's a less eloquent Wilford Bradley. Well, it's Wilford Brimley, but you know who's who's splitting hairs. He's he's the knockoff version. Did you uh, did you ever figure out who it was that you were referring to from Brooklyn Nine Nine that you couldn't remember, or did that just like? That's, nope. that's okay. Well, it's uh, I'll speak for the other, you know, former co-host here. That's Andy Sandberg. Oh, see, I knew we knew that you. Oh, of yeah. All people yeah. and then also John uh-huh. would know who that was. Yeah, it's a it's a delightful bit of disgust we've endured. But so for all of you <laughs> out there who have also endured what uh, we would call the the Christ wafer of Michael's salty saltine. That's been saturated sitting in a, in a club somewhere. Uh, we're, I'm glad I'm back. I'm, I'm happy Thanks. to be here. And by Thanks, the eternal Satan. behold, behold, you don't just burst in with a behold there for no apparent reason. It is, in fact, the disinformed podcast. I'm Shane <laughs> and I'm Michael. And there's apparently a water displacement level that we need to keep constant since Courtney is now back off of the show. We are now a two-person podcast at best. That's that's how we're going to run. Ooh, I mean, yeah, it's it's guest host, guest uh presenters, you know, we it's a it's a cycle, you know, mm-hmm. keeping it fresh. A fresh. Yes, Swesh. it is a, a tumble dryer of just massacred and mauled cotton. But uh, I I was excited by the prospect of you monologuing for an entire episode as well. That was what oh. I was promised. I honestly started preparing that this week as well until you said, hey, you know, I'm around. I can help. And I'm like, thank fuck, because talking about the history of weddings and marriage, uh, monologuing that, that sounds incredibly just... I was going to say, I I have hosted (laughs) open mic nights over the course of my career, both as a a musician and just a general gadabout and and misanthrope and man about town. I have watched comics die on stage before. And uh, so as as I was midway through, I was like, yep, this is when you don't understand that the bit that you came up with in your head just is not going to land on the audience. (laughs) And just watch the air slowly drift out of the room, and I was like, "Okay, I got it." I mean, you got a lot of experience watching, you know, any sort of person attempt comedy die because you watched me do that 
every week. Indeed, and I've watched my so. band play more than twice, so I'm also I, true. You yes. are an expert. You can write books on this, not just papers. Books, indeed, textbooks, even. But since we are here and we're now ten minutes into a show, it is important for us to clarify that what we typically do here, Michael, just for oh, the record, is we me. often delve into random esoterica, and in the course of explaining it to one another, we lie about the content for the sake of keeping things entertaining for those of you listening at home. But uh, then, you know, the co-hosts have to guess what the lies are and try (laughs) to keep it somewhat, you know, uh, injected with levity, I should say. And uh, at the end of the show, we do have a denouement where we explain what was lied about and why Mm -hmm. and, and why it was or was not funny most of the time. But uh, notes. But we are going to be yet again not fulfilling expectations because you are not going to be giving part two of Alexander II's fruitful assassination attempts this week. But I think that we can indulge you slightly due to your current circumstances. Yeah. Um. By the time this episode airs, I will have been married for exactly two days. Or. Er- one and a half days. Actually, so. for one day, six hours, 47 minutes, and 22, three, four, five seconds. And, uh, yeah, it just, the yeah. beat goes on. But who's counting? You know? uh, <laughs> <laughs> only a drowning man counts seconds, and <laughs> I saw one last week. But no, I'm going to stop the roast of, of Mr. Michael uh, this evening, because you, you did a great job. As I said, very entertaining episode. It is the one, the first time that I was not present for a recording of this show, which is, mm-hmm. I, I, I held out longer than most. You still have me beaten, but uh, that's <laughs> purely, yeah, based on, on circumstance. You, you did have to do a call-in once or twice oh. when you were being held hostage in Michigan. <laughs> or in my closet where I just said it. <laughs> I don't even remember classics. what episode that was. Uh, <laughs> uh, sadly, I don't cave. think anyone else does either. But, you know, it's happened. We've reason. endured a lot reason. of pain and agony for this show. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do so again. But yes. uh, so since you have, have not managed to reach the very modest task that was set before you and uh, give us a topic this week again. Uh, I will return to a well and draw stale water by yes. saying that we're going to get cagey again. Get oh. cagey with KGB. Ooh. As I threatened for the Halloween show, I had a lot of these and I had fun. I could care less whether anybody else enjoys this. <laughs> Me watching Michael squirm and uh, not guess Fu Manchu was probably one of the highlights of my last few months. So I'm Good. ready for this. I'm glad I can entertain. Uh, for those who were not here for the Halloween show, and my sincerest condolences if you missed it because it was a barn burner, uh, we were discussing whether or not, based on a description of a film, Nicolas Cage actually stars in it, because Michael is admittedly a devotee of the Cage acting oeuvre. You'd, I'd say so, but based off of my uh, track record from la- the last episode on this, probably not. I mean, you can claim that you love something without... Like, I like classical music. 
I can name several composers. I might even be able to recognize a tune or two, but I don't have to be able to cite chapter, verse, note for note, cadence, and instrumentation for a work to say that I appreciate it. I'm just not into the nuances other people are that are devotees. So, yeah, you can like Nicolas Cage without knowing every single film he's been in. That's a fair point. Yeah, I can't imagine you would name... I keep wanting to say Stradivarius, but that's a person who made a violin. I don't think they made any music with it, but like, I don't know, Bach, Schumacher. I think that's a person. Schumacher? (laughs) Well, Joel Schumacher is a filmmaker who made uh, several Batman films that you're fond of, (laughs) where the bat suits had nipples and Poison Ivy was apparently very alluring to you. That's why I like that name. Mm-hmm. Batman and Robin. <laughs> Got to express. Smash. <laughs> so, uh, are you prepared to start off this evening for the remainder of the spoopy Nicolas Cage, or at least, uh, we'll call it tense? Give me the past tense spoops. Okay. Uh, I also will have to say, uh, due to circumstances that I'm not necessarily prepared to share with the general public right now, my brain is mush, and I've gone from being sick with like a sinus infection and running through all of that general malaise to trying to prepare for someone's wedding, uh, <laughs> trying to prepare for my own wedding, trying to prepare for a, a pretty large set of circumstances and a, a bunch of nonsense. So my, I am going to have difficulty forming cogent sentences off the cuff this evening. So for all of the haranguing that I just gave you, I am about to match your meat, as Sandra okay. Bullock would say in Demolition Man. But I was uh, going to say, so you're going to be on my level tonight. Yes, I'm working terrible. Too. Hence I'm why sorry. I started with the nog, because I wanted to, you know, at least be able to imitate. I am drinking a uh, pumpkin spice cold brew with pumpkin spice eggnog. Oh, you so. basic cunt <laughs> so good it's so I, fantastic i hate everything pumpkin spice i just can't there's just nothing about it that is alluring to me at all so it's okay it is known you have you have mentioned that it's um, not just the hipster in me i do like no. you know the occasional pumpkin thing but i hate pumpkin pie so then it's, anything it's in that theme is a you know just revulsion Oh, yeah, it's entirely different. We didn't really talk about it too much that, that time when you were talking about Dunkin' Donuts mm-hmm. and, or Dunkin' and, you know, pumpkin as opposed to pumpkin spice. The, because the, they really are different. The Dunkin' Pumpkin, as it were. Yeah, the Dunkin' Pumpkin. I do miss the Dunkin' Pumpkin. They, exactly. They decided to get spicy with it. They spiced up their life Mm-mm. like every boy and every girl. And I don't want to be its lover. Mm-hmm. No mo. You don't need to get with their friends. You don't even care about them. Yes. They're gone. Poof. Much like many of the other Spice Girls in my life. Uh, Rip. Have been sporty, though. Ooh. I was, I, I have to, in my preferred Spice Girls, just on, on an aesthetic, they were all very, very fetching ladies. Even sporty. Which, you know, not, not most folks' favorites, but... Uh, it's like sports spice? I don't... You don't know sporty spice? Is that a deodorant? I'm very upset at you. But uh I yeah, I, I was always a posh spice guy. That's uh I as is David Beckham, as we found out. So you I have no idea who any of the spice girls are, do you? It's been a long time. So we had we had scary spice, we had baby spice, you had sporty spice, 
you had posh spice, and then you had ginger. Can I call bullshit on one of those spices? You cannot. There's oh, nary no. one, all of them, accurate, mm. as far as I am aware, based on my what what little lucidity I have that well. I'm clinging to. I'm almost ashamed of myself that I can name all of the Spice Girls in a single sitting without really straining. I would say I would say that there should be no blame on you. There should be blame oh, on no. me that I should I should know them. They were kind of like part of my generation in terms of music and everything. I had a so, a, a sexual awakening with the Spice Girls more than once. Which is understandable. That's, mm. you know, ergo why you know every single Spice. Yes, ergot. Mm-hmm. Ergot. Oh my god. All right. So moving on from the Spice Ergot Girls. Spice. He just sits there in the back and just twitches <laughs> the whole time. I would absolutely have a go at Ergot Spice <laughs> if you're asking. That sounds like it'd be a hell of a time. I'd jump out of like a, a third story barn window naked with my balls just flailing in the air if I'd had Ergot Spice. <laughs> I'd be laying down on the ground claiming I was on fire. Ah, <laughs> I got the argument. I also just dropped. All right, at least my audacity's back recording. Uh, oh. All right, we're going to get back into it. a complete into- freeze. So I, I grabbed, I told you, I'm I'm really, I'm on a, I, I wanted to adjust my sleeves so I didn't fucking die as I'm sitting here and I touched my microphone and since it's a temperamental bitch uh, I pulled the cable ever so slightly just the most minute of adjustments and that makes it go to full just catastrophic meltdown on me every time so I am winning Wednesdays Mm. as of right now aren't you glad Uh. you said you wanted to have a little uh, you know therapy session here so yeah, i definitely did and and i need it i definitely need well it. we're we haven't said a single thing about our current circumstances but we're by god gonna chat about somebody else's former circumstances i feel like people want to know more about him than more about nicholas cage than about me so i'm totally okay with that well, strap in, because this one's going to be a lengthy one. All right, give it I'm to sure me. I'm sure it's also what he said before we started it, but... Ugh. Brian De Palma directed this taut thriller. Mm, Here's a give me that glorious turn of phrase. <laughs> Ooh, lovely taut thriller. You know what mm. I'm in the mood for? Not just any kind of thriller, a taut mm-hmm. thriller. Indeed, I'm vibrating. <laughs> So, in the top thriller set in Atlantic City, where a corrupt cop investigates a political assassination. Mm. Mm. Plot stiffens. Outside an Atlantic City arena, yep, outside an Atlantic City arena hotel casino, which is a lot of hyphenates there, so I'm I'm really running with it. A TV news reporter stands in a pre-hurricane storm to report on the heavyweight boxing match about to begin inside. A transition to the stadium interior focuses on Atlantic City homicide detective Rick Santoro, Nicholas Cage, a father with a wife and son, yet also a dishonest cop who maintains a mistress and cheerfully accepts bribes. De Palma's Steadicam follows Santoro on a fast-paced tour of the stadium as the laughing, yelling detective travels stairs and hallways, talks to a gal with a between-rounds placard, visits the dressing room of champ Lincoln Tyler, rides down an escalator to squeeze money from a small-time hood, 
enters the arena of 14,000 fight fans, talks on the phone with his girlfriend and wife, and sits ringside next to his lifelong buddy, Navy Commander Kevin Dunn. Behind Dunn, the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Charles Kirkland, is seated alongside billionaire casino owner Gilbert Powell. As the fight gets underway, Dunn abandons his position protecting the defense chief to pursue a suspicious redhead. Oh. And the plot thickens. Mm. From his ringside vantage point, Santoro has a close view of the champ, curiously conscious despite taking a KO punch. Hmm. Mm. At that exact moment, an assassin fires at Kirkland. Santoro immediately concocts a good cover story for his pal to explain why he left his post protecting Kirkland. And then just after the shooting, Dunn kills a Palestinian extremist, the apparent killer, and Santoro orders the stadium doors locked, hoping he can locate other suspects amongst the fleeing crowd. One such is Julia Costello, an injured woman in a blonde wig who spoke with Kirkland seconds before the gunfire. After a video replay reveals the champ took a fall, going to the floor from a punch that never touched him, Santoro becomes more curious and suspicious, comparing witness accounts, and attempts to locate Julia, convinced she's the key to truth behind the assassination. As it all comes to a head, Santoro peels through successive layers of corruption, ultimately confronting himself in a self-examination of his own values for what is effectively the most lo like the long-winded discussion of a plot of a film that I discovered in the course of this whole examination. Huh. Ghastly. <sighs> I feel like... Is there like a side thing whether or not this film actually exists? Because I don't even um, know if this exists. It sounds like a wild ride, and I don't know if any any decade would have been able to fit the mold that this film would have taken place in. Well, uh, I will tell you, as I did previously, there were no made-up movies. Oh. So all of oh, these shit. are most certainly films that do exist out in the oeuvre. Now, whether or not you feel Nicolas Cage is in it is an entirely different horse altogether. It sounds up his alley. It does. Um, Palestinian. The, the and it's very appropriate considering assassination has been the topic du jour for us on the podcast over the past. That month. is true. Um, hmm. I'm trying to place exactly when this movie would have been a big deal, but. Okay. I feel like Palestinians have always been like, you know, something <laughs> you, I you know, that's a that's a route I don't want to go down. Um It's probably a good idea considering uh, that you pissed off the Russian Federation last week. <laughs> so we oh, probably want to just avoid Yeah. Um okay, so I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say it's not Nicolas Cage. Am I right? You're incorrect. And also, what? you're going to have a, a lot of fun editing this week. Uh, <laughs> because that's fine. I have now disconnected my fucking microphone like three times. So, but uh, I am back with you. I am back audible. And, uh, I can hear but, you. Uh, no, this is, this is a Nicolas Cage film. Most certainly really? is. What? Yep. What? what this is, is a film. Win? This is a film called Snake Eyes. Which was uh, released in 1998 when he was officially the king of the world. 
This was one huh. of the big films, and he is lit beyond belief in this movie. He's wearing like a an exceedingly loud like purple suit the entire time. If uh, if you look it up later on, it, like you should watch the film. If you have never seen it, it is well worth it. Huh? I'm I'm not the world's biggest De Palma fan. I have actually said that he has made the worst film that I had ever seen in my life prior to the happening. <laughs> <laughs> it it held my top spot up until that point, which was the Black Dahlia, as an absolute massacre of cinema. And I hate he he coaxes wooden performances out of some of the greatest actors of our age. And uh, he had in that film in particular Aaron Eckhart, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Hilary Swank, and. Um, one or two other fun folks, including uh, Aunt Dursley from the <laughs> Harry Potter films, cool. Petunia. And uh, yeah, they give some of the most disgusting performances. Oh, Josh Hartnett was another one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're atrocious. I laughed through the entire thing. I was yelling at the screen because there were only three of us in the theater and the two in front of me were engaging in oral sex. So <laughs> it shows you how great the movie was. There was a lot of sucking that happened in that theater that night, and most of it was on screen. So by saying that, um, I feel like De Palma is in that run. Allow me to just monologue for for a moment so I get this out of my system. So he's a friend of like George Lucas okay, and is in that uh, scope with, uh, of course, the um, the Zoetrope tribe, which includes um, the... Uh, director of The Godfather, who I just blanked on for a moment, but it's Zoetrope is his company, so naturally. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, okay. okay. So Coppola, Spielberg, George Lucas, uh, and De Palma were all very close friends. Not a one of them can really effectively coach actors as far as a director goes. <laughs> Lucas is the one who famously, like, it's always faster and more intense is the only thing he ever tells his actors. I can uh, see that. Especially in the prequels. Yeah, is great at putting cameras up around people and then just letting the performance happen. So I won't harangue him with this. But De Palma does not give any sort of direction. And I'll give you an example that you will have heard of and never necessarily attributed. But he directed Scarface, the Pacino, I should say the remake of Scarface starring, uh, starring Pacino. And Pacino is just at a 12 out of, you know, seven that entire film because he just had no direction. So DeBalma just basically sets the camera up and he's more worried about what it is capturing in shot. Same thing. He actually, uh, he also directed, um, the untouchables, which the, oh. the Kevin Costner vehicle. So Sean Connery. Absolutely beyond the pale in that movie. And uh, De Niro also hamming it up for the, the camera the entire time. So you start to get a feel for directors who just don't necessarily put any sort of reins on their actors. Mm-hmm. And Snake Eyes is another one of those exquisite personifications of that being manifested huh. into reality. Because Nicolas Cage is just... If that description of what happened on screen, just of him walking through, talking on a cell phone to two different people, doing bumps of coke, talking to other people, going and talking to the chip, like, hey, what's going on, slugger? Like, he's absolutely gone. We are just a hair's short of high fucking yaw in order to get out of this movie. So, yes, Snake Eyes is there. Damn. 
Okay. Rant concluded, but yes, that was so. City of Angels is the year before. Okay. <laughs> and then you go straight from that into Snake Eyes. Okay. okay. So uh, I had to get that one out of the way because that That's, was the biggest chunk, but it, it very start. vividly depicts what was happening. So okay. your uh, your trend is continuing, my friend. I shouldn't go with my gut. Opposite my gut. That's the only way I can win. Well, let's see if that plays out for the remainder of the evening. <sighs> Fingers crossed. All right. So this next one, it, it screams to me, Nicolas Cage. And the first line will be indicative. Remake fever spread in 1991 to the producers of the TV movie Night of the Hunter. 36 years earlier, writer James Agee, director Charles Lawton, and stars Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters, and Lillian Gish combined their considerable talents to create the original Night of the Hunter, a first-rate allegorical suspenser involving stolen funds, a homicidal phony preacher, and two innocent but resilient children. The 1991 remake stars Nicolas Cage in the old Mitchum role as Harry Powell, the bogus preacher in <laughs> with the words love and hate tattooed on his knuckles. In pursuit of stolen money hidden by his old prison cellmate, Reverend Powell ingratiates himself with the cellmate's widow and then kills her. The woman's children seem to know where the money is, and so Powell then pursues them through the woods, nearly catching up with them before they're taken by a kindly old woman. The 1991 Night of the Hunter couldn't even come up with an adequate substitute for Lillian Gish, and so the new script altered the ending, thereby diminishing most of the property's inherent value. Jeez. Um, okay, my gut says yes. Because okay. this sounds like something that he would do. Mm -hmm. Because of that, I'm going to say no. He is not. Well, you have officially managed to find a reasonable theory for how to go about this, my friend. Because no, this is not a Nicolas Cage vehicle. Okay. This technically stars Richard Chamberlain. Uh, but it sounds like once I saw the, the phrase remake fever, I had actually done the original Night of the Hunter and was going to swap it out because the idea of huh. this preacher with those bad tattoos, yeah. I was like, oh, this is so Nicolas Cage. And then I saw they remade the film and huh. I was like, oh, you're kidding me. And of course, it was a horrible remake, as we've discovered with several <laughs> other things. So I was like, this is going to be perfect. But uh, so we, I think you found a formula here, friend. Yeah. Yes. Finally, it only took one and a half episodes, but I got it. Yes. Got a formula. So, we're going to continue to test it with something that sounds even more ignominious as far as filmic nonsense goes. A noble knight battles a wicked witch in a bid to save humanity from an ancient evil in this supernatural thriller starring Nicolas Cage and another actor who I will not tell you. Upon returning to his home in Europe, crusading knight Beeman, Cage, finds his faith beginning to falter due to the brutality he's witnessed on the battlefield. The Black Plague has decimated the countryside, forcing Beeman and his loyal companion Felsen to seek sustenance and supplies at the Palace of Marburg. They are weary from war, but they are about to discover that their struggle is just beginning. Commanded by the moribund cardinal to deliver a suspected witch to the abbey where her powers can be abolished, Beeman accepts the assignment under the condition that the young peasant girl will receive a fair trial. 
The church believes the girl to be the one responsible for the Black Plague. Oh. Like you do. Oh. Uh, And they may be right, too. As the two men and a small group of chaperones set out about their arduous mission, they quickly realize that their young charge is something more than human, and that they're about to face an evil beyond human comprehension. I want to say this is Lord of War, but I don't think it is. But it is not Lord of War, I can tell you that much. Lord of War is a dramatically different plot line involving two Russian expat brothers who sell firearms. You're right. You're right. You're right. I... For some reason, I always think Lord of War, and I think of God of War from... um, Okay. Mm -hmm. The video game. uh, No, no, no. Not even that. Uh, Wonder Woman. um, Played by... Ares. Ares, yes. Yes. Played by the person that I can't remember, but has been in a lot of... Things. Including the island of Dr. Moreau and uh, Harry Potter, and as Harry of course Potter, our favorite uh, Professor Lupin. Big mouth, uh, actually Sandman as well, mm-hmm. uh, because he was in that as well. I can't remember for the life of me his name, but you know well, he's a great actor. He is, and I unfortunately that is one of my blind spots. I'm horrible with names usually. That's why uh, movies were something I used to cling to because mm. I could remember actors. So at the very least, I run. But yeah, it's it still I do have blind spots. Uh, you know, listeners, if you know who that is, leave a leave a comment. I mean, IMDb also could tell us in about two seconds if I was, uh, you know, inclined. But I'm I mean, not yes. presently. But listeners, if you feel inclined, leave a comment. Michael's um, desperate for engagement, in case you can't please. tell. Which I, I was nearly on the verge of posting. I was frustrated with your Russian pronunciation of uh, names, just so that you would feel fulfilled by last week. And then I, I forgot today. But, uh, um, maybe later. I don't. I don't feel like this is him. Okay, that's your so gut. I, uh, yes, but okay. I. I feel like I want to go with my gut. Let's let's show let's see. Let's okay. see if my method is actually like sensible. So I'm going to so, say all right. He is he is not a part of this. Well, your gut is uh, unfortunately still unsound, my friend, because uh, this is ah! Season of the Witch co-starring Ron Perlman from 2011. Really? Huh. And it does, in fact, star Nicolas Cage, as we have alluded to. Damn it. Uh, okay. He he also it's another one of those films where he has long hair and it's it's yeah. very bizarre. That's that's that was his aesthetic. I almost said shtick. His aesthetic in that the early mm. tens, late aughts. Well, I mean, even they were going to have him play Superman as well in the uh, Kevin Smith penned mm. Superman Reborn, and he had Shoulder length hair in that as well. I was like, what? When did this happen? Because I I was used to seeing him with the close cropped hair. The second they started giving him extensions, I was like, "Mm -mm. no, no. Pass. Go back to Ghost Rider, friend. Let's keep this clean. (laughs) Just burn your head. Just show me a skull. That's all I want to see. I I mean, he can do it. (laughs) Just hit him with some acid. He won't overact, I swear. Ah! All right. This one, I am exceedingly thrilled to see whether or not we're going to oh, follow. No. But Okay, okay, let's see. In Roman Polanski's first American film, adapted from Ira Levin's horror bestseller, a young wife comes to believe that her offspring is not of this world. Waifish Rosemary Woodhouse and her struggling actor-husband Guy move into the Bramford, 
an old New York City apartment building with an ominous reputation and only elderly residents. Neighbors Roman and Minnie Castavet come nosing around soon after to welcome the Woodhouses to the building. Despite Rosemary's reservations about the eccentricity and the weird noises that she keeps hearing, Guy starts spending time with the Castavets. Shortly after Guy lands a plum Broadway role, and Minnie starts showing up with homemade chocolate mousse for Rosemary. When Rosemary becomes pregnant after the mousse-provoked nightmare of being befouled by a beast, the Castavets take a special interest in her welfare. And as the sickened Rosemary becomes increasingly isolated, she begins to suspect that the Castavets circle is not what it seems. The diabolical truth is revealed only after Rosemary gives birth and the baby is taken away from her. Inspiring a wave of satanic horror from The Exorcist to The Omen, Rosemary's Baby helped usher in the genre's modern era by combining a supernatural story with Alfred Hitchcock's propensity for finding normality horrific. Unfortunately, the horrific follows with this poorly contrived and executed TV adaptation from 2014, <laughs> which stars... I'll give you this one. Zoe Saldana as a young mother-to-be, who begins to suspect she may be carrying Satan's child, and Nicolas Cage as her aging actor husband, who manipulates her into acting as a sacrificial lamb for the devil's insidious scheme to bring about the Antichrist. I had you going there for a second that yeah. you thought this is going to be a shoe and because she's like, yeah, it's Rosemary's Baby. He was yeah, not in Rosemary's exactly. Baby. Exactly, okay. Little did you yes. know, they made a fucking remake of Rosemary's what? Baby that technically was aired in 2014. What the hell? I mean, yep. literally, but also, uh-huh. what? Yep, that happened. Uh... <sighs> Now, the question is whether you believe that Nicolas Cage is rife to play a role as a washed-up actor in 2014. Well, that is one of his lull points in his acting career. You're not wrong. Um, Zoe Saldana was kind of on the rise presently. We had we were right around hitting... Now, granted, Avatar had been a worldwide phenomenon, but she was a fucking blue cat at that point. So very yeah. few folks had actually seen her face as we moved into this. I don't remember when the first Guardians of the Galaxy film was, but I'm fairly certain it would have been like right around this time. So she was either cresting into that or... You you know, still hadn't quite hit the zenith yet. Huh. I can't remember either, but I think it happened around the same time as well. Okay. Um. So you said it was a TV show? Uh, it's a TV adaptation. Guardians of the Galaxy came out in 2014, so this was filmed oh. at the exact same time Guardians of the Galaxy was. I don't know if Nicolas Cage ever did any TV adaptations, but then again, then again, Mm -hmm. every time I think something, it's always been the opposite. So who knows? Maybe most of the things he's done uh, have been TV adaptations. I'm sure he's done some TV films. It's almost impossible. Like, yeah, yeah. Directed, like directed DVD, that sort of thing. Yes. But like actual TV, like series, not just a single movie. I don't well, know. But see, you're also taking into account that this is right around the time when they started to do a pivot where television started to become the major medium for actors. Like, Ooh, if you're thinking about, point. like, when 24 really started kicking off, and then you've got um, 
like Blacklist and all of these other things that kind of started popping up where you had major film actors that started transitioning into being purely on television shows. Because, you know, Kiefer Sutherland was a big deal for yeah. quite some time and then just kind of transitions. And you hit things like Hannibal where you got Lawrence Fishburne floating in doing that TV is, roles. Yeah. Like, so we're right kind of around the time when they started really pushing for television. And now, like, major actors are all over television shows. That's a very good point. And Nicolas Cage seems to me like the right sort of person to, you know, be injected into that mold. But I'm not trying to pitch you. I just no, it's no. important for me to contextualize some of these things. As it is we talk. important. It is important. But that said, I'm still mm-hmm. going to say that he is not in it. I'm going with my okay. gut again. You're going with your gut yet again. And I I'm expecting to be wrong. OK, well, you're not because he was not in it. <sighs> Congratulations. I honestly don't think that he was ever in a something that wasn't just a movie, like directed TV, like DVD, whatever. Hmm. I don't think he was in anything that is like constitutes a show. Like, of course, he's been in show, like movies with sequels, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's been in anything that is that constitutes like a television series. OK, or a series of sorts. I'm not sure that's correct. But I, I, I mean, off yes. the top of my head, I can't immediately refute that uh, because nothing immediately springs to mind. Exactly. But, like, uh, he probably has. I mean, he has a very, you know, storied career, but, like, nothing mm. that I can think of off the top of my head screams television series. Course. Well, I mean, now in an acting role, of course, he was in the the history of uh, swear words, of course, yes, on Netflix, that, which is yeah. not technically television either, but that is a recurring series as opposed yeah. to something else. And, but he's not was, acting. Yeah, exactly. That was him. He's a talking head. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Narrator of sorts, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, congratulations. You picked up another one and trusting your gut. So maybe the formula is not as exact as we expected. I just like breaking the mold. And I think, uh, thankfully, uh, for the listeners, I'm sure, but mostly for you as well, this is the last one that we have got in this current run. Okay. So uh, you better buckle up and, and get ready. Let's see if I can pass this episode. Indeed. We can only hope. <laughs> like is your connection unstable because i can tell you i'm unstable so yes so apparently as i'm looking at this my volume on my computer keeps turning down so i don't know what has transpired oh, so i'm now no. sitting here holding my volume up there was an update for oh, zoom fabulous. so who who knows that's a very good okay point. yeah i see that i'm modulating myself too so that fuck yeah <laughs> Post-self can suck a dick. <sighs> okay, this is just delightful. I'm I'm loving every second of this. So I'm just going to sit and hold this button for the next little bit here so that I can actually hear what you're saying. But uh, here we go. Okay. In this offbeat wartime <sighs> drama, a young Italian soldier, Nicolas Cage, stationed in Ethiopia, gets into deep trouble after a toothache compels him to set off in search of a dentist. He pauses at a desert oasis and sees a beautiful young woman bathing there. He then loses control of himself and sexually assaults her. Afterward, he feels guilty 
thankfully, and elects to spend the entire evening with her, which I can't imagine goes swimmingly, just, you know, personally, but who knows? I Uh, I don't even want to make that a bit, like a joke, like, just, no, 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 no. Yeah, mm. let's not begin this date with a murder, as they say, but uh, exactly. in any event. That's a very good description, yes. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, during this time, he hears a wild animal and then fires a shot, which ricochets off of a rock and mortally wounds the woman. So, unable right. to help her, the soldier shoots her in the head and buries her body. Oof. If we haven't hit misadventure of the peak levels at this point, we will continue. The soldier then resumes his journey. A little time passes, and he and his cohorts see two natives wearing strange white garments, just like the poor girl he had ravaged and killed. They are apparently pariahs, and suddenly he realizes why. They are lepers, as was the woman that he abused. (laughs) And soon the soldier (laughs) discovers an open sore on his hand that will not heal. Believing that he too has the dread degenerative disease, he suddenly remembers his family and fiancée in Italy and wants to see them desperately. Unfortunately, he cannot get home and so ends up seeking solace and forgiveness in the dead girl's native village. God, that is problematic as fuck. That's Um, a harrowing film. Oh, jeez. Um, I don't know if he's done anything like "quote unquote" risque in that regard. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna say no. Okay, but only because like I'm feeling pretty, pretty cocky with my um poor choice of words. I, I I'm feeling pretty confident with my you know gut instinct instinct. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say no, it is not, because I can't imagine him doing anything in that regard. Well, when one is feeling cocky, you might rub it hard enough for it to fall off, as long as you're in a leper colony. Uh. So, uh, all right. Uh, unfortunately, you are incorrect. This is a Nicolas Cage film. What? This is entitled Time to Kill and was made in 1989. It was one of the first films that he ever did. Jeez. Okay. Well, that I feel better about not knowing that one because mm-hmm. I'm not super familiar with his early, early, you know, era. Yes, yes. His younger exploits you are not as familiar with, understandably. No. But this sounds like a little. It's either like the weirdest black comedy or just a, a bit of Art Nouveau. Who knows? E- exactly. <sighs> yeah. If this is not comedic, it is easily one of the most harrowing films i have ever seen depicted as far as like a quick synopsis yeah exactly like damn Ooh. yeah absolutely nasty so that is officially your run here on uh caged or not which uh i you you did pretty well comparatively i i think i got 50 percent. so like you know not not terrible i think i got you know two out of two out of four right uh, well, we had uh, all right. So we had a couple more than that. The Oops. the first up at this point was, of course, Snake Eyes, which you got wrong. We move into Night of the Hunter, which was the remake Fever, which you got right. Okay, got as I recall, fifty percent. Okay, uh-huh. Season of the Witch, which you got wrong. 
okay. Rosemary's Baby, which you got correct. All right, we're still at fifty percent. I uh-huh. like these odds. And now we've got Time to Kill, which is the the fifth in the run, which you didn't get. So uh, yeah, two out of five ain't bad. I have forty percent. You know that's that's pretty good in our state. That's a, uh, that's essentially passing in some circles. So uh, I mean, as far as we're concerned, yes, that does qualify. <sighs> so, uh, congrats, friend. You done Ooh. done it yet again. Jesus, and you survived another episode. With a, a fairly coherent me. Woo! Coherency so, is the best. Because I'm not entirely sick of holding this button yet. Uh, how you feeling? How are things going? Oh, what was no. the rant that you wanted to get into? The rant? Yeah, you, you had said you're experiencing oh, like yes. a, a collection I, of circumstances I, outside um, of the wedding that were driving you nuts. Yeah, so my car decided to start leaking coolant. Ah. Um, which I did kind of diagnose the problem. It's a very minor leak. So apparently I have heard that, uh, they have developed, um, more organic means of helping to seal small leaks in coolant, which my car is currently undergoing right now. It's like, uh, mm. it's, it's derived from ginger and some other like, um, organically derived thing. And Don't start talking about ginger again. We are not going down this road. Okay. So it helps. All right, um, fine. Yes, I was able to drive all the way from the other side of town on your in your neck of the woods back mm-hmm. to my neck of the woods, which is like you know a long drive for those who don't uh, aren't aware. Yeah, and a lot of death avoiding uh, avoidance because no one knows how to drive in uh, Phoenix. Yeah. Um, so you're saying you shoved ginger in the gas tank of your automobile in order to get its tail to stand up as you were driving. No, uh, okay. a little bit better. It was a ginger extract, if I recall correctly, mixed Ooh, with wow. some other natural compounds, and apparently it creates a kind of film that helps seal up very, very minor uh, leaks in like. Why do we keep talking about like leaking miners here? Uh, sorry, that's, that's not just, a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> that's what my mechanic told me, and that's what I've been using since. So hi fucking yeah, hi fucking yeah. Um, that's, I've had at least two appliances break down, uh, over the li- last couple of days. Um, mm-hmm. my dishwasher completely doesn't work and I've had to, huh. uh, help rebuild my dryer, uh, because the connector, uh, the little, I guess like vent thing that connects okay. to the outside part, I've had to replace completely because I don't want to pay $200 for my landlord to hire someone to come and fix that. So. <sighs> this was all in the span of like the last couple of days. Um, not not mentioning anything else that is involved with the wedding. Those were just mm-hmm. the things that I had to deal with. Because, you know, when it rains, it pours. And it loves to pour whenever I have any sort of things going on. And it's certainly raining today. Yes, surprisingly. And it's mm-hmm. actually quite cold out here in Arizona. So I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. Uh, I will certainly uh, take a, a rainy day here in Arizona as opposed to having my eyes just absolutely irradiated from the sun constantly. True. Glorious Very reflection true. off of dirt for the permanent state of my life. But mm-hmm. <sighs> the times 
they are a changin', according to Bob Dylan. So mm-hmm. we'll and just how. run with that. But uh, now on to the part that you all really enjoy, which is uh, where we tell you what we're actually supposed to do at the end of the episode here, where we introduce all of our socials that are dying on the vine. <laughs> As Michael so effectively did last week, I'll remind you that, of course, we have got the YouTube that you should go check out. But uh, we have also an Instagram, which is just completely devoid of activity, so you can avoid that altogether. We do have a very entertaining string of material on TikTok, which somewhat apes what's happening over on YouTube for the shorts these days. So just like, subscribe, rate, and review wherever the heck you want to. We'd love to hear from you. But of course, the important thing that was not mentioned is we do have new episodes of this show winging your way every Monday morning (laughs) until we finally put a bullet in its brain. And uh, so, yes, you can expect to see us pretty routinely with glorious material just like what you're hearing now and so please go check us out there get subscribed make sure that you engage of course because michael does so love to hear from you of course tell me tell me everything tell me about Mm -hmm. your life i'm the bartender that's like there's no one else sitting here i'm just polishing a glass tell me what's going on with your life i want to hear i don't actually but i pretend yeah exactly Best, Best damn goddamn bartender, bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or and Portland, Oregon, Oregon, for that matter. Exactly. <laughs> so. You uh, got some advocate here in my scotch. But, uh... <laughs> All right, well, much like Mr. Grady, the caretaker, I am apparently going to have to correct you. So, Uh-oh. so oh, no. we're going to end this thing oh, officially. No, not my medicine. <laughs> you are going to take your medicine, young pup. Oh, so, God. thank you all for being here as always. It is a delightful time, and we sincerely appreciate it. I particularly do when I can actually breathe and make a semi cogent <laughs> sentence from time to time. So, happy to be back with you. Uh, love and peace to all of our deceased co hosts out there who just uh, pop Rip. up like weird whack a moles whenever we've a mind to. But uh, we, we appreciate you all. We hope you're having a marvelous week thus far. And so, for the Disinformed Podcast, many safe returns to you out there. I am, in fact, Shane. And I am, in fact, Michael. And zippity zoop, we're out of here. Kill it before it spreads. <laughs>